This podcast was created on the lands of the Wurundjeri peoples of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and acknowledge their continued custodianship of these lands and waters. We recognise that sovereignty was never ceded and that we are the beneficiaries of stolen land and dispossession, which began over 230 years ago and continues today. You're listening to Make It Shequel, the podcast empowering advertising to get equal. Growing up Asian Australian during the 90s and early 2000s, I think the only other Asian Australians I saw on TV were on border security. So having more Asian Australian representation is something that actually is quite important in terms of feeling like you belong in Australian society and that Australian society isn't just white, um, that it is actually multicultural and diverse and reflects the reality of the Australia that I live in. In episode one, we explored the research by Kantar Insights with regional creative head Irene Joshi, which identified examples of authentic, genuine, realistic advertising with a strong commercial impact and spoke with Respect Victoria CEO Emily Maguire on the real-world implications of sexist and stereotypical advertising. In today's show, we are speaking with National Marketing Manager at Coles, Alex Piercy, and hearing from Rosie Chong on her personal experience around media representation and working in the media industry as a first-generation Asian-Australian. Alex, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. This is wonderful to be here. We're so excited to have you here. So we know that advertising really has the power to drive positive societal change when it's used the correct way. And the Unstereotype Alliance has developed a framework which is designed to help creative marketing and communications professionals create progressive and inclusive portrayals of all people. And this is known as the three Ps. Now, you know a lot about these. So can you walk us through that framework? Absolutely. And so the three P's, it's presence, perspective and personality. And so it's a framework that's all about depth and thought behind creating ads. So we all might have heard of, you know, where a brand has tried to throw in a little bit of diversity at the end um, to make sure that they're, they're ticking the right boxes, that comes across completely tokenistic and very two-dimensional and often uses stereotypes to do so. Um, so the three Ps are all about breaking down those stereotypes and it's really a framework um, as a, a set of discussion points or guides to make brands and agencies think about um, how to break down these stereotypes in in a really progressive manner. Um, so to to start off, presence. Presence is really about who is in that piece of advertising communications. Um, so it's it's about diversity and being able to depict that vast range of different human identities that exist mm-hmm. in our society. Um, perspective then is is all about framing that piece of advertising and communications. So ensuring that it's from the point of view of different people. So if you think about, you know, the the stereotypical um, piece of communications might be from that white heterosexual male. It's it's about doing everything, <laughs> everything but that and ensuring that again it's it's taking in different different viewpoints. Um, And then the third one, so personality, that's about really injecting depth of character um, into into that story and ensuring that it's it's coming across as authentic 
uh, and not tokenistic. So, um, you know, presenting powerful, strong female identities, um, injecting humour into the conversation where, where appropriate, um, and I suppose just stepping away from what you might look at as a, a traditional piece um, or a stereotypical piece of advertising. Even just hearing you explain that framework already gets you thinking about how, you know, presence ensures that there is sort of a bit of tokenism, but you're adding, allowing people to think differently to add that depth. And I think that's that's so important. And Sheikwal also has a, a guide to content creation checklist that people can apply to any situation to help them think through the process in a more deep and meaningful way. But what do you think are the benefits of using these kinds of tools when creating campaigns? Yeah, um, they're really flexible um, and on so many different levels. So it's not a tool that is just for agencies. It's mm. not a tool that's just for brands. Um, it's it's to spike discussions across a, a whole range of organisations um, and, again, used they, they could be used at every stage in that development process. So if you think of uh, brand target audience descriptions going through that checklist and just having a bit of a think, um, if you think about casting and, and looking for talent to ensure that it's not that flat two-dimensional um, pick-a-person mm -hmm. talent, it actually has that depth. And then... On the flip side, where you're looking at in front of the camera, so talent, storyline, but what about on the flip side where you've got behind the lens, who's actually in um, the discussions around writing that story? Uh, is there diversity within um, the agency uh, and within the, the cohort of people that are developing um, the advertising communication? I also love the idea that the three P's is like three different checkpoints that, you know, you're making sure that you're keeping check on yourself and it's it's a multidimensional approach and it's hard to keep all those things in your head at once. So once you have a framework, it kind of, it's a fail safe to make sure at every point you're thinking about all the different levels of that you have to be working on. Now, you have years of experience in the marketing industry. Can you think of some situations where you've had to stand up and really push hard for a more realistic or authentic portrayal in the marketing materials that you were working on? Yeah, yeah, look, there's a, I think there's, in anyone that's been in the advertising industry can probably think back to um, some examples where we, we could have, or we should have done better. Um, one that jumps to mind is probably a, a relatively small piece of communications that I did last year. Um, at the time, Coles supports um, around Anzac Day, uh, supports an organisation called Bravery Trust. Um, and so this was where a portion, I think 50 cents of every biscuit sale <laughs> went towards this, this organisation um, that supported our, our service people that had been injured. Um, so with this, the year prior, um, a piece of advertising had come out which was communicating this I think it you know it we're not talking television we're talking um probably press um point of sale catalog that mm -hmm. sort of thing um and so the year before it was of an army service woman um 
you know, if you could think, well done, we're breaking down that <laughs> slightly, that stereotype. Presence, um, number one. <laughs> but but what had come across my desk um, for sort of the, the sign-off for approval the following year was refreshing that same creative that they had used um, an, an army, a male army person. And I went, oh, you know, absolutely not. This is, you know, your, your stereotypical army person why aren't we using a female here? Um, and actually, now that I think of it, had I had my time again back then, and it, it does so show how much we've progressed, um, I should have not been saying I want a female here. I would have, going through that checklist, been, you know, creating um, some comms that were even more diverse. Yeah someone that's non-binary um, or, or a, a transgender person um, and really probably pushing the needle more in terms of what we can do there. However, hindsight's <laughs> a wonderful thing. Um, Always twenty twenty. Yeah. And so that, back then I said, no, you know, please put a female um, in this piece of creative. And the person who had been working on the campaign pushed back and said, no, 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 we, we did a female last year. Um, you know, we... we talking about Tick. <laughs> you know being equal it you did a female last year so a male is fine I went no because if you think about the millions of customers that will see this ad mm. um, and again a fairly significant insignificant piece of advertising compared to everything else that that we put out um, but the people that will see that uh, it's reinforcing that stereotype and they will have no idea what we did a year ago Um, what they will see is is that stereotype of a a male army officer Um, so there was a bit of argy-bargy there but in (laughs) in the end we um we we changed it over we had a female um air force officer not in the car key in the blue and so changing a few things up but as I said hindsight's a wonderful thing and I think if I had my time again, it would have been different feedback again. Mm. So you can always you can always improve. Yeah. Um, and that's I'm probably segueing a little bit, but that um I, I think that's something where people in this space, people are trying to get it a hundred percent right. Yeah. And I suppose you don't have to get it a hundred percent right, but it's important that we are having the conversation and at least moving forward. Absolutely. And I think that's you know such an important point that change is a spectrum it's not this static destination that you arrive at positive change and then we're yeah. we're perfect and we're you know it's this constant evolution which means you have to allow for reflection and improvement and, and continually moving those goalposts further as we yeah. evolve and develop but I think the other thing you brought up about change is that all change is uncomfortable at the beginning and of course even positive change does kind of evoke some pushback when it's not the norm and when you're in those early stages of moving, you know, the bar of what's normal or what the status quo is. So do you have any advice for other advertising and marketing professionals who might want to speak up, you know, in in the situation that you were just describing, who want to make more genuine, authentic ads? What would your advice to them be about how to go about that? Yeah, I I think... As you touched on the, the feeling of being uncomfortable, um, and, and actually saying that that is a good thing mm. <laughs> um, to to push yourself and to feel uncomfortable. Um, I suppose there's there is an element of fear in this space, and fear is very much people 
internalising the situation and thinking about themselves as an individual, a fear of how it might look bad on them, mm. um, when really this is so much bigger um, than, than any one individual. And it, you know, better representation is it's the right thing to do morally, but also it makes complete business sense. Um, I think, you know, anyone, any business leader that's not sitting up and taking notice and making change in this space, um, they're, they're overlooking a significant portion of, of their customers, of their target audience. Mm. Um, if you think of, you know, 70% of purchases are, are made by women. Um, and it, when, when you look at, look at that and you think, well, hang on, um, from a gender equality perspective, how are we portraying women in our ads and how can we ensure that there's greater diversity there but also the, the intersectionality between disability, mm. LGBTQI+, um, ethnicity, race, sexuality, identity, all, all, of, those, all of those elements and... Um, I, I also think that early consultation is probably key. Yeah. So where, where businesses trip themselves up is it becomes that afterthought. Um, so there's, there's a saying that's been coined, you know, nothing about us without us. Um, yes. So yeah, <laughs> I love it. Um, so ensuring that you're in, you know, you're, if, if there's not that diversity in the team, yeah. um, which is again part of part of the, the checklist or framework, but if there's not if there's not that diversity in the team, then how are you seeking out um, a diverse cohort of people to ensure that um, your your advertising really is authentic? Mm. It really shines through how passionate you are as, as a marketer about portraying really realistic and authentic representations of people through your work. With, you know, the, the many layers and years of experience you have in this area, talking about that spectrum of change and that continued evolution, where do you see the future of marketing and advertising going? Look, I, I'm really hopeful um, and we've, we've come a long way, uh, which, which is great news, but there's... There's a lot further that we can go and I think the fact that businesses are taking notice currently and, and they're wanting to talk about it, there, there is that passion there and that airspace to have, you know, creating that space to have those conversations. Um, there's a lot of talk. I think there needs to be far more action. <laughs> uh, but then what that needs to translate into is education. Yeah. Um, and education at a, a whole lot of different levels. So you've got, you know, we talk about the three Ps. Well, at university I learned about the four Ps of marketing. <laughs> um, with, in that same sense, I would love to see the future um, to have the three Ps or a similar framework or checklist taught within universities with, around this subject. Um, and again, you know, it, it's that spectrum of change, but it might first be a lecture. Mm. It might then be a module. It might then be threaded uh, throughout the entire semester of certain subjects. It might then become a subject um, that people can get more involved in. But I think that's really important 
Um, and possibly that coming through uh, it, for those more junior marketers, it then will equip them to have better conversations um, and almost get to the stage where, you know, something's not coming across my desk that is an absolute stereotypical army officer uh, <laughs> or, or something like that. But then I think you've got a lot of CMOs and CEOs that are really leaning into this space and that's where with Unstereotype Alliance it's fabulous to just see the amount of interest at, at that level mm. of, of really passionate, experienced marketers. Um, but then I suppose the there needs to be, there's a, a disconnect. Um, and in, in that example that I, I shared before, there wouldn't have been a scenario where the decisions that we were making down there ever got to the CMO's yeah. desk to sign off. It yeah. all happens before then. So all of the elements that we've spoken about regarding casting briefs, uh, creative briefs, uh, that's where we need to make sure that there's education around the three Ps um, or, or similar checklists to make sure that those conversations and are happening and there's a discussion. Well, with leaders as passionate as you <laughs> who are really spearheading the movement in the whole industry, I feel very, very positive about um, the future for all of us. Thank you so much for joining us, Alex. Thank you for having me. The Make a Cheekwell podcast is brought to you by Women's Health Victoria and proudly funded by the Victorian Government. We would love for you to get involved in our Sheekwell program, an initiative empowering the advertising industry to take action in better shaping how people are represented in the stories they tell and we all consume. Head to sheekwell.com.au, that's S-H-E-Q-U-A-L.com.au for more information, practical resources and training opportunities. Now back to the episode. This brings me to my next guest, Rosie Chong, a personal branding expert, keynote speaker, consultant and mentor, B&T Women in Media finalist and co-founder and co-host of It's a Definite Maybe podcast. Is there anything she can't do? Rosie, welcome to the show. Hello. What an intro. I probably should have shortened that a little bit, but I'm excited to be here. Never let anyone dull your sparkle, gal. This is true. <laughs> I've been told too many times I'm too much to this, to that. So it's time to just... Embrace it. I mean, that's <laughs> pretty much where I wanted to start. You actually share in your LinkedIn bio, and this blows my mind, that you were once told you would never make it as a creator and would never make it in the world of socials, which blows my mind primarily because socials is actually how I discovered you and started creeping <laughs> on your life before we met in person today for the first time, which is incredibly special. But how do you feel that those kinds of experiences, that kind of scepticism and negativity has shaped you as a content creator that you have become? And what do you feel have been the biggest challenges for you that you've had to overcome working in this industry? I feel like it's given me so much more drive and almost this want to prove people wrong, prove all those naysayers that told me, you can't do it, you could never do this, and actually show them, hey, I have done it. I've built a platform and a community on multiple channels and multiple social places and it is how we met and I find that it's just crazy that we're meeting in life finally after being internet besties. <laughs> I mean I know all about your proposals, <laughs> I know about everything. <laughs> the first brand collaboration you got like you've really brought us along on the ride and I think it's crazy that anyone told you you couldn't do that. Thank you. I'm actually wearing like the necklace today that I was given in my very first 
brand collaboration, which is a fun full circle moment. Not intentional, but here we are. (laughs) I feel like the biggest challenge though that with all of this that I feel like I've just constantly have to prove myself at the same time in both a positive and a negative way. I think I've always had this self-doubt go through me both as someone with anxiety but also just being told no so many times or being doubted so many times. There are so many different avenues I've tried to start social or content creation and being laughed at or bullied or made fun of. Mm. And so when I finally leaned into it, I found that I was, oh, I am a creative person. I am passionate about this. But I think it's that self-doubt that carries so much in the imposter syndrome, this idea of, oh, well, you're just another influencer. Everyone's going to do the same thing. And it's how do you change people's perception and definition of what a creative person is, what a content creator is, when you're not traditionally self made as a creator or not raised in a creative household. I was raised in a very traditional household of you go to uni, you get a job, you have a family and doing something creative is totally against what my family expected against my Asian heritage of expectations of, Oh, be a doctor, be a lawyer. I was (laughs) never that. And so I feel like I've always have to try and show up and do extra and do more and go further than other people do purely because of what people expect or the box that they put me in. Mm. But now that I'm doing it, I'm like, this is so incredibly rewarding. Why did I wait so many years to actually start? Well, I think it's interesting that you mentioned imposter syndrome. I think it's one of the biggest barriers and challenges to anyone really achieving anything. It's not their actual ability or capacity to do something. It's their belief about their ability or capacity to do something. Totally. Add to that not just self-doubt but external doubt and naysayers. I mean, I can't believe you've been able to push through that to do what you have and and prove them all wrong, which is (laughs) absolutely incredible. But you also touched on your Asian Australian heritage, which is obviously something that we share and is quite a unique experience but also one that is shared by, you know, many Australians. So with your experiences and, and your perception of how Asian Australians and Asian culture more broadly is represented in Australian media, do you believe that our representation our representation, you know, as a collective has changed over the years. How far do you think we've come? Where would you like to see things head in the future? You know, how do you kind of feel as an Asian Australian at the moment? I feel very proud and I feel like there's still a long way to go, but I think where it is today in 2023, it is almost normalised, finally, and accepted. Mm. And Growing up, I was one of, I think, two Asian kids in my primary school and I was called racist terms and I was bullied for being different and having Asian food. And so that was part of sort of going back to why growing up as an Asian Australian, I felt this expectation that I had to follow a certain path, that I Mm. couldn't do what Caucasian people were doing or what males were doing or what someone older than me and more experienced was doing. And I had to stick to a box. And I feel like where it's gotten to now is that it's, we finally embraced diversity and normalized that. And that goes beyond just Asian race. There's so many different things that we have finally normalized, which is just so refreshing to see. I saw an ad the other day that I think had someone who was hearing impaired or someone in a wheelchair. And it's like, oh, that's not us filling a disability quota or a diversity Mm. quota. It's that as a person. Yeah. And it's so nice that I am very proud of my identity of being Asian Australian and my heritage and being first generation of my family along with my sister but it's also just nice to be like hey I'm a content creator it's not just oh I'm an Asian content creator and we kind of (laughs) remove those labels and that stigma behind it so I think we're in a good position now and I look up to people who are like Melissa Leong on MasterChef 
obsessed with her. And I love that it's just, oh, we have a female host. It doesn't have to be, oh, it's a female Asian host. Mm. And it's just part of media and part of pop culture and part of everything in mainstream media, which I think was missing in my childhood growing mm. up. And we still have a long way to go, but it's just so nice to see. And I'm just proud to be part of that. And I think there's still a long way to go of encouraging other people to speak up and to use their voice and to not be self-doubting and take all of the things that they've had from their childhood that have put them down or as they were growing up and realize, oh, doesn't matter what gender or race or age or culture that I come from, you can just have a go. You can have a voice because you are worthy of that. A hundred percent. And I, I share that experience um, with you in that whole being younger and really not seeing yourself reflected for the first yeah. time. In, well into my teenage years, probably even my 20s, without seeing myself reflected in any advertising. I mean, it was unusual if you would see an Asian represented. Totally. And that's, you know, I mean, that Asian ethnicity has kind of even become a little bit more conventional compared to mm. other ethnicities. But And that's taken a really long time. And, you know, something you've come across in this show is the idea that you can't be it if you can't see it. So visibility totally. and the, the ability to envision yourself in a role is, is so important and we have come a really long way in that regard. I also feel like we went through a bit of a stage earlier on and we've again spoken about this in kind of the spectrum of positive change that the first part of it was quite tokenistic. Mm. Have you ever fe felt that you were somewhere because of tokenism and that you know it was missing the depth that we're starting to grow behind that presence? I feel like I haven't got a specific obvious moment where it's like, oh, I'm definitely the token Asian person. But mm. there's definitely been moments where I've been in a room and I feel like I've been there based on my merit and the work that I've put in rather than the color of my skin. But I'm still the only Asian person in the room. And it's mm. that moment that I feel like, oh, this is, this is weird. Why am I the only one that looks like me here? But I feel lucky enough or thankful that I haven't been put in a position where I feel like I'm feeling a diversity quota yeah. or people are, oh, we need an Asian person. Let's pick her because of that, not because of the work she's done or what her skill set or what her experience is. But there's so many of my friends who are Asian and who have been put in that position where they are tokenistic or they're put in this pedestal. It's like, oh, well, you're our diversity quota. Congratulations. <laughs> um, so I, I'm thankful that I haven't really been in that position, yeah. but it's definitely still prevalent, but definitely not as prevalent as it used to be. So that's nice that we are shifting away from that side of things. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's fascinating to be speaking to you in particular as well, because you have the experience of being a creator and being right at the forefront of seeing these changes, but you're also working in branding. So you kind of get to see things from the other side. Yeah. So based on your experience from the branding side of things, but also obviously overlaid with being a consumer <laughs> like all of us, can you talk to any brands that you think are really leading the way in showing that more authentic and genuine, realistic and equal representations of people in ads, you know, that others could look to as, as a good example? For sure. And I feel like the first examples that come to mind are often fashion brands, just because as a consumer, they're the kind of brands that I love to consume. And that <laughs> we know I know you love, love fashion. Watch. We love fashion and that's okay. She's a fashion girly. <laughs> and I think from a body diversity and normalizing that, I think yeah. Fate and Bonds and Wear Nala, um, most of them underwear brands for some reason, they really embrace just normalizing diversity. They have a lot of body positivity. I'm a big fan of Fate because the founder, Brittany Saunders, who is also past creator, past YouTuber, and now multi-millionaire 
entrepreneur business lady, she just normalizes being, it's not a plus size store. It's a, oh, it's a store that sells sizes from six to 26. Mm. And it's changing that language that I think a lot of brands could learn from that it doesn't have to be, oh, we're a plus size store. We're a smaller built body store. It's just, oh, we sell women's clothing. We sell men's clothing. We sell kids clothing. And I think changing that language has been really influential from their brand. I think from a broader advertising perspective, I think Dove have always been a front runner in their campaigns. They're amazing. They just, again, they normalize different skin colors, different body sizes, different abilities and disabilities, and just anyone who has a body can be part of their campaigns. And I love that. Absolutely. I think also with the whole spectrum of positive change or any change, we've spoken quite a lot about the idea that there is discomfort in moving away from familiarity, from totally. language we're used to using, whether it be good or bad, any kind of big disruption, even if it's one you want to make, does involve a little bit of pushback because people, it's just, it's new and it's foreign. From your experience, have you ever had a situation where you felt like things could be a little bit more authentic or you know, maybe no one has spoken up yet and put the lens over everything that is progressive, progressive portrayals, you know, more than um, where no one has put that progressive portrayal lens over the conversations. Have you been in any situations like that where you felt you needed to speak up? I feel like one of the biggest things that comes to live in my content is a conversation around mental health and anxiety and where those parallels are drawn in the life of social media. And I think this world of authenticity and the buzzword of authenticity is finally coming to light. Everyone wants to be an authentic creator, an authentic brand on social, but a lot of them are still just wanting to show the highlight reel. And especially mm. when it comes to anxiety and burnout and working a nine to five or running a podcast and being a content creator, it's exhausting. And so many people just want to show the highlight reel of, oh, I signed five new clients overnight, or I just got this new promotion. How exciting. Or I just got this dream brand deal. But a lot of people weren't showing the reality of they were working 12 hour days, seven days a week, or they were suffering from burnout, or they were going to therapy twice a week. Mm -hmm. And so when I suffered really bad burnout in 2021, I took to my LinkedIn because I was starting to create, I had been creating for about six months and I was like, oh, no one's really talking about the reality of working in a nine to five or burnout. Most people were just showing this glossy side. So I started talking about that. And I think now it's definitely become a lot more normalized again, for lack of another word. But I think it's still an area that I think a lot of people are still scared to go into and scared to sort of unleash that authenticity of, well, this is the reality of being a human or being someone that works or being a parent or being a creator or whatever your title is or your responsibility is. People are so scared of not looking like they are perfect and they're so scared of showing failure mm. for fear of not succeeding mm. that it just damages what kind of content and what voices are out there across brands, across creators, across founders, across people who are in high school or uni. And so that's such a big area of mine that I'm so passionate about encouraging people to keep talking about. But I think we still have a very long way to go when it comes to talking about authenticity in that area. It's really it's interesting that you mentioned the idea of fear and how fearful people are of being judged as imperfect in the things that they do. And yet every single time, like I, for example, have chosen to show a real vulnerability or, you know, the bloopers that I share and all mm -hmm. that kind of thing, they get so much more positive engagement than any other content. 
like wildly more positive engagement than the perfectly, you know, the yeah. otherwise perfect <laughs> edited preened content. Like that gets nothing these days. So it's interesting to see people's appetite is moving more towards authentic, like not, the highlight reel isn't that interesting anymore. It's I think boring. audiences are evolving as well, which is a really exciting thing because I think that's what everyone wants to see more of. Totally. As a content creator yourself and, and making those decisions for the first time, like deciding I'm actually going to change the way I approach my content, I'm going to deal with that fear and push through it and put out something a bit more vulnerable. Do you have any advice for other creatives who might be, you know, at that hurdle and starting to think maybe I could change but I'm still a bit scared or how do I do it, how do I approach this? You know, if they do want to make more genuine and authentic content, how are some of the ways they could do that? I think the first thing is overcoming that mental barrier. A lot of what that hesitation and doubt comes from is internally and that self-doubt mm. and the voice we hear in our heads and just realising your brain might be telling you, oh, people are going to make fun of me or judge me. But then tell yourself in reality that's – Rationally, that's not going to happen. Most people are too busy to want to be a keyboard warrior. And if there are haters and keyboard warriors, there's a block button. You're not going to please everyone and that's okay. Yeah. And I think the other advice I would give is just realizing that the more you try to be a little bit more vulnerable, the more you experiment with getting out of your comfort zone, the more comfortable it gets, the mm -hmm. easier it gets. And I think from a creator perspective, it's what people respect more. People don't care about perfection anymore they don't uh, they aren't attracted to people that are fake and glossy and shining they want to see real and it's why we've seen a shift with the biggest celebrities like the kardashians or your alex earls of the world and people who were put on this pedestal for being perfect and photoshopped all the time people are now resonating so much more with people that go through what they go through they hear stories that resonate with what they've gone through and it's that I think resonation and that change, I think, is what I use to help encourage others to be like, you know what? It's just the internet. It's just social media. <laughs> it really doesn't matter. Just have so much more fun being yourself rather than being someone you're not. It is amazing that today there are so many increasing examples around the place of brands that are really leading the way. But I think there are also a lot of situations that people encounter in the industry where perhaps it, you know, everyone isn't as far progressed and isn't necessarily on the same page. So particularly leaning on, you know, your role as a, on the brand side as a strategist, have there been times, especially in the gender space where you have come up against pushback or where perhaps you haven't seen the representation that you would like to? Yeah, unfortunately there has been. When I was working client facing in a sales role previous to my current strategist role, I was running a client meeting and my boss was not there and I was trusted to run this meeting with the client who I knew and myself. And I get in the meeting and someone was running, I think five minutes late and the client goes, oh, well, is is your male boss going to be joining us? Because I had tried to start the meeting. Yeah, that is the correct reaction. Because I was like young in my career and I was like, I don't know, two two or so years into my career and I'm, you know, budding young girly pop trying to do the things in career land. And I was so shocked because I was still such a bad people pleaser back then that I was like, oh, yes, let me find them for you. And I regret having – I regret that response – so much yeah. because it was so offensive to my age, my gender, my race, like so many different things. But it's just like, well, why does a male boss 
have any, like, why can they do anything better than me as a female? Mm. We had a previous client relationship, so I was familiar with them. We had worked together for a little bit, so I wasn't a stranger to them, but it just felt like, oh, you think I'm incompetent because I'm a female. It's like, oh, okay. So that is definitely one of the moments where I thought, okay, something needs to change. And it was such a big motivator to me to never accept that behavior ever again and to not allow myself to think, oh, well, because I'm female, I'm lesser than my male counterparts, which is not the case at all. And it's sad that that is still something so prevalent and happens in situations. And I've used that in motivation in every other role that I've been in since that meeting and every meeting that I've been in to think, oh, it doesn't matter that my age is this or my race is this or my gender mm. is that I can still speak up or I'm worthy of being here or I'm competent at my job. And if I see that behavior, which thankfully I haven't really seen it much anymore in the last sort of two or so years since that incident in my current role, there's not much I have to speak up about. But if I do say it, I'm like, you know what? This is not okay. And it's okay to call it out as scary as that can be. And mm. it's helped me really just push to want to have that change in meetings where I'm having workplace conversations or seeing that in leadership. I'm so fortunate to work at a company that has, I think it's a 60% sway to female leadership Amazing. in senior positions to male. And it's something I haven't really seen a lot in other companies. And it's nice that that is becoming the norm and it is changing and people are, should be put in positions of leadership because of their skill set and because yeah. of how they treat a team, not because of their gender or their age or whatever else it is. Yeah, and I think that maybe even highlights the importance of the role advertising has to play even more because if there are still institutional inequalities like that that you are going yeah. to encounter in real life, then you know what chance do you have if the subliminal messages you're getting all the time from the marketing and advertising around you is telling you the same thing, like totally. it's going to be so difficult. So. Yeah, I think it's um it's amazing that you've been able to use that as fuel. Yeah. That one situation <laughs> where you might have wished that you did something differently. I wish. <laughs> but also to encourage other women to do the same. Yeah, 100%. And I think it's great that the advertising industry is really pushing for female-driven initiatives and awards and mentorship programs and really driving these initiatives that opportunities might have been given to just males back in the day and now it's like okay we really need to champion what the next generation are going to be doing regardless of whether they are male female non-binary somewhere in between and it's great to see the advertising industry changing I think there's still a long way to go in advertising compared to other industries that are more typically female heavy or female mm. skewed but the change is happening now and it's exciting to be part of that. And I think that also means that having come through the, the period and generation that you've come through, you have so much to give to the younger generation as well who are coming up in a very different time, but totally. who also have to continue this sort of uh, this championing of change. So if you had the chance to say something to your younger self as a message that we could now pass on to people who are, you know, younger and earlier on in their journey, what would it be? I actually wrote a post about this the other day and I think the biggest piece of advice I would give to my younger self or people who are the younger generation now is don't let people who tell you no stand in your way. I think I let that happen to me so many times because I was doing something outside the box. I was doing something different. But when you realize that you just need to trust your intuition, you just need to get out of your comfort zone, you actually need to disrupt the norm, that mm -hmm. that is where change happens. That is where growth happens. And that is the most exciting thing. And if we want to see the next generation influence and have change for the better, like our generation 
is doing. They need to be willing to get out of the box and not let the older generation or other people say, no, what are you doing? Don't listen to them because someone's opinion, honestly, at the end of the day, doesn't matter that much. If you can bring positive change and have positive influence, then you need to be doing that. And I also love, I think, coming back to that idea of realism and being authentic, even in the way you're telling the story of your journey, is that it's not necessarily going to be smooth. No. It's pretty bumpy. Hell like, no. Any road to change, it's, it's pretty oh, uncomfortable. it's going to be awful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there'll be times where, you know, you've got all the best intentions in the world and you've got all the right support network around you and then you'll still encounter someone who's just on a different planet to you. And, you yeah. know, it's getting out of the box is really difficult. Yeah, and it's I have so much respect for people who are making change and having their voice heard and doing stuff that so many people might disagree with. But if you have people who are coming to you with different opinions, you kind of know that you're doing the right thing because you are making enough noise that people who are so stuck in their ways and stuck in their little box and fear change, if they're piping up and saying, hey, I don't like what you're doing, then that's when you know you're doing the right thing. <laughs> there are going to be haters. There are going to be bad days. There are going to be times where you think, what the hell am I doing? But I think that's all part of just the journey and the growth and this leaning into authenticity and being more real. Absolutely. Well, Rosie, thank you so much for sharing your insights with us. We're so lucky to have someone who can come at it from a creative side and a brand side. So really appreciate your time. Thank you for having me. I feel that I'm somewhat represented in Australian advertising. I do see Asians in various types of media. However, as someone with multiracial heritage, I would like to see more mixed race representation. I think that more multiracial representation in advertising would accurately reflect Australia's multicultural population. More fascinating and thought-provoking insights in this, our second episode of Make It Shequel. The three Ps are such a powerful framework that Alex talked us through that really stuck with me as a way to ensure depth and authenticity beyond just tokenism across the advertising industry. And Rosie also reminded us that the Australian consumer is actually hungry for more authenticity. And because of that, businesses really need to commit to intentional inclusion of authentic and equal representations in the advertising and content that we are all creating. In the next episode, we will be looking at two businesses who are doing progressive portrayals really well as best-in-class examples. We will have a case study on Modibody, who has already come up a couple of times in our conversations, but also be sitting down with a founder of her own business, Hilary Holmes from Home Beauty, who will add yet another layer to our conversations. I'm so looking forward to that with you all. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to share the show to help us spread the message of equal advertising. And of course, hit that subscribe button so you don't miss any episodes of Make It Shequel. We live in such a multicultural country, so I'd rather see ads that show all kinds of people. One of my favourites at the moment is the Google ad with the father supporting his daughter to get into AFL. That ad has so much personality, comes across as really authentic.